Today is Good Friday, as you've already heard. It's an opportunity for us to come together as a community of faith and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're commemorating the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, so significant to our faith that we commemorate this. This is the bedrock. This is the foundation of our faith. The Lord Jesus Christ died in our place on our behalf as our substitute. And while we celebrate this every day and we commemorate it every day, and of course, every Sunday in our Christian worship services, we've set aside this day in particular to worship Christ and to focus in on his incredible, awesome work on our behalf. So we're trusting that you will be blessed as we spend time together in God's holy word today. Get your Bibles ready because we're going to be exploring an ancient text in the Word of God found in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at the prophet Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 to 5. And if you're new to the study of Scripture and you have a paper Bible, uh, one of the things that I was taught many years ago is that if you take most Bibles and you split them right down the center, chances are you'll land in Isaiah or at least a book or two on either side of Isaiah. So you can find the book that way and get on over to chapter 60. The title of today's message is this, Darkness is not our destiny. This is especially relevant on a day when we're commemorating the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the spiritual darkness that surrounded that event. And also as we find ourselves as a society uh, and a church and and a country, and in fact, a world in this a crisis moment. Uh, it's good to know that darkness is not our destiny, but rather there is light and there is hope and there is peace, church that can truly be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just lead us in prayer, and then we'll get on into the Word of God together. Father God, we love you. We declare that out loud today. We love you. We care for you because you care for us. And today, as we spend time in your word, we pray that the word of God would come alive inside of us. The Bible is living. It's active. It's a breathing book. It's not just true, but it's transformatively true. So transform our hearts and minds. Give us perspective if we find ourselves in a place of confusion. Calm our hearts if we're riddled with fear. Inform us as to how we should act and respond in a lost and broken world. We love you, Father. We love your word. Bless us today as we study it together. In Jesus' beautiful name, we pray all this. Amen. I want to get us going by having you consider what some of your happiest memories up till this point in your life might be. Can you think of them? Perhaps it was a day that stood out different than all other days. The, the day that you first learned to ride a bicycle. I remember the first day that I learned to ride a bicycle. I was determined. I went out of my driveway. I put one foot on these railroad ties that went down the side of our driveway and straddled my bike. And I kept trying to balance over and over again. And finally, I just rode off. And what a day. Freedom. I was able to finally ride a bicycle, a two-wheel bicycle by myself. Perhaps you remember your graduation from kindergarten or your first kiss. How monumentous was that? Or perhaps for you, one of your most special days is the day that you said, and this is true for many of us, I do. The day that we were married. Or the birth of a child. 
or a promotion at work that we waited many, many years to finally receive. Or maybe if you're a a young lady, it was the day that your mom said, okay, you can wear lipstick for the first time. Perhaps it was the purchase of your first house. Or if you're a little bit older and maybe the job that you had throughout the course of your life wasn't the most fun, maybe it was the day of your retirement. That's a standout moment in your life. Now, as we think about this idea of special days, special moments, special memories, if we really consider what it is that makes those things special, we could conclude that it's because prior to them happening, we hoped they would happen. Hope came before the actual day, the actual event, the actual accomplishment. Almost all of our fondest memories started off as a hope. They were beautiful, listen to this church, because we had to wait for them. We were sure they would happen. We anticipated them with great joy. But we had to wait for them. Oftentimes, the things that we wait for in life, however, are preceded by some challenges. Those challenges might include periods of doubt or periods of testing or trial, or in the case of learning to ride your first bicycle, a few skin knees, failure, maybe wrong turns, the loss of a relationship, a breakup or two or three, hard times, economic failure, poor job performance review. Before the sun rises over the horizon every morning, darkness covers the face of the earth. But we hope, we wait, We look forward to a better day. In hope we wait for better days than today even. On this particular day, which interestingly we call Good Friday, and which begs the question, why would we call the commemoration of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ good we conclude that the reason why we're able to call Good Friday good, a day which otherwise commemorates darkness, the capital murder of an innocent man, the capital punishment of the eternal Son of God on a Roman cross for sins he did not commit. The reason why we're able to call a day like this good is because we call it good preemptively. Meaning we call it good because we know that while the events of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ were dark and were in fact bad on so many levels, what Jesus ultimately accomplished in the darkness of that moment was very good. Like the sun coming up over the horizon, we celebrate Good Friday Because we know that just past Good Friday is what? 
What do we know? Easter Sunday. And by the way, in commemorating the death of Jesus Christ, we understand as Christians that this is also something that's very personal to us. It's not just a historical reality, but it's something that's very personal to us because we actually share in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was on the cross, he was accomplishing something for me and for you as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was dying in your place for your dark sins on your behalf so that you might receive the benefit one day of eternal life and freedom from sin. And so in his defeat, and we could also say in our defeat, in his darkness, in our dark moments, we look to the light that is ahead of us. Again, we commemorate Good Friday because we're familiar with Easter Sunday. And there, the promises of God, waited for by the people of God for decades, come to their fruition. The promises of God come to their fruition. Jesus, the writer of Hebrews tells us, once for all, the word comes up time and time again in the book of Hebrews, once for all, paid for our sins in his body on the cross. This is a very, very personal event. I want to take you, as I've promised, to Isaiah chapter 60. This is a an ancient text, probably around 2,700 years old. So we're talking about 700 years before Jesus. And the prophet Isaiah there reminds us, as he reminds the ancient people of God, that darkness is not our destiny. This is a theme woven not only into Jesus' work on the cross, But it's woven, if you will, throughout the pages of Scripture. Darkness is not our destiny as the people of God. The prophet Isaiah, in order to reorient these disoriented people, in order to give hope to these people who found themselves in darkness, points them to the future. To a time when both the glory of God would be evident across the whole planet. And the glory of God's people would be evident across the whole planet. Again, God is glorified and the glory of God's people shines out upon the earth. And by the way, this reminds us, church, that while we share in Christ's sufferings, guess what? We also get to share in his blessings and in his glory and in the benefits that he accomplished for us on the cross at Calvary. So know this, no matter how tough your journey gets, no matter how much doubt or trial or tribulation or pushback or difficulty you experience in your spiritual walk, in your journey here on planet earth, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, commit this to memory, 
Darkness is not your destiny. This is just a moment of time. A moment of time with a hope-filled outcome. Neither death, nor disease, nor plagues, nor persecution will separate us from the love of God. And here's why. Because God's presence is sure. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, the prophet says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Here we have a reoccurring theme in Scripture where God is illustrating a spiritual truth using the imagery of light and darkness. Darkness typifies your depression, your doubt, your distress, your disease, all of the challenges and difficulties of this life. And light typifies the hope that is ours in Christ. The promises of God being fulfilled. Now again, we're talking 2,700 years ago, 700 years before Christ. And this did not fully happen during the time of Isaiah's ministry. In fact, it hasn't fully come to pass yet, 2,700 years later. So why is it that Isaiah in his language is so definitive about something he'd not yet fully experienced? And how can he be so bold as to say, you know this glory, this hope, this light we're talking about? It has come. It has risen. Now that's the language of accomplishment. So typically when you say something has happened, you mean it's happened in the past. You're not talking about the future. But in Scripture, it's possible for things to have not yet happened. But they are so real and so sure and so certain that we can use language like this. It has come. It has risen. And the response that God is seeking to solicit from his people is to arise. Get up. Rejoice. When we stand, we feel alive. When we arise, we, we're, sometimes we're stand, we think of it this way. We're standing at attention. We're not being lazy. We're not being sleepy. We're not distracted. When you, when you rise, you're ready to go. God calls us people to embrace their hope, their identity as followers of the true and living God. Yes, it was true. Darkness had covered the earth. And in our current generation, the same thing is true. Darkness has covered the earth. But God's people must not succumb to the darkness and need not succumb to the darkness. We are called to let God's 
glory shine. And by the way, when we do, just jumping ahead a little bit in verse 3, the nations take notice and the nations are impacted. So there's a ripple effect when God's people stand and claim the promises of God. So what is God's call to us? God's call here is for us to live our lives with an acute awareness of his presence in our lives. And how much more of a blessing and a promise do we have as New Covenant believers on the other side of the cross when we've now seen what Jesus actually accomplished for us? And we now have a completed canon of Scripture. We have an abiding Holy Spirit. We have a community of faith. We are well-resourced to live in light of our destiny. And our destiny is not darkness. But our destiny is glory. To share in the suffering of Christ positions us to ultimately share in the glory of Christ. We can address him in prayer, therefore. We can meditate upon him in our darkest moments and find perspective and joy. We are called to weave his presence into our daily mindset. No more of this, well, Sunday is for worship and the rest of the week is for me. No. No more sacred secular divide. No more two-faced living. No more hypocrisy. But rather the call of God is for us to live our lives every day with a radical sense of the presence of God upon us. So arise, shine church, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Secondly, we learn from this text, not only is God's presence sure, But the darkness, yeah, it's here, but it will not last. Let me just read for you verse 2. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But, that means in contrast to, in distinction from, the Lord will arise upon you, And his glory will be seen upon you. That is the people of God. Now, suppose I was in the market to buy a new automobile. And you were a car salesman. What would be your go-to tactics to try to convince me to buy your automobile? Well, you would try to convince me that the color's nice. The engineering's great. It has all the bells and whistles. It's kind of a peppy vehicle. It has great fuel economy. It has an incredible warranty connected to it. And the price tag, you're not going to be able to beat it. If you're going to try to sell me something, you're going to present me with all of the positives. You're not going to say, well, the thing's a gas guzzler. The wheels will probably fall off in a thousand kilometers. You know, these things tend to break down. The air conditioning doesn't work. The radio's terrible. You're not going to do that. You're going to give me all the positives. But that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be honest with me in doing so. Now, if God was just trying to convince us that we should follow him, and that was his end goal, just trying to convince you like a slick salesman that he should be followed, you might think that when we read the Bible, everything in it is like, 
a cakewalk, a bed of roses. Everything's wonderful. If you follow God, there's going to be no problems, no difficulties. All of your needs are going to be met in the moment that you need them. But that's not the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is honest. The Bible tells us the truth about the reality of our human condition. And so in this text, the Bible just tells us straight up as an honest book. What makes you think that if you follow God, that everything's going to just be hunky-dory? It's just not true. As the prophet Isaiah starts off by calling the people of God to focus on the glory of God and the victory of God and the identity that they have with God, at the same time, he creates for us this tension. And he reminds us that in this life, sometimes things are going to be dark. Now, I was thinking to myself as I was studying this, I wonder why the writer says thick darkness. I mean, what's the difference between darkness and thick darkness? Think about that. If it's dark, it's dark, isn't it? What's the difference between darkness and thick darkness? Well, thick darkness carries with it this sense of foreboding. It's like, man, this is going to be this is going to be a challenging kind of darkness, a difficult kind of darkness, maybe a a prolonged kind of darkness. That's the kind of darkness that will cover cover the earth. And again, this is in reference to the moral decay and the death and the destruction and the disease and all that kind of stuff that is part of the current created order. God's just reminding us that, yes, it's going to get dark. There's going to be challenges for you in your faith. Your faith is going to be tested. The Bible never says, hey, if you follow Jesus from that day forward, no problems. Just health, wealth, and happiness. No. There will be challenges. The Bible's an honest book. There will be foreboding darkness that will sometimes be present in your life. But, but... Through it all, and in spite of it all, through God's people who have properly aligned themselves with God and have grasped the certainty of their hope, what does the text tell us? But the Lord will arise upon you. In the midst of the darkness, the Lord will arise upon his people. This is one of the immediate blessings of being part of the household of faith, church is that while others are frantic and fearful and lost and confused and ignorant, we don't have to be any of that. We have perspective. We have hope. We have the light and life of Christ in us. And this is what reorients us when we might be disoriented. And this then is what pushes us out on mission. The Bible says, and his glory will be seen upon you. Seen upon you by who? Those that are still lost in darkness. Those that are still lost in darkness. The unbeliever, the skeptic, the secularist. It kind of aligns with what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5, where he said to the church, you're salt and light. What does salt do? Flavors, bland food, preserves certain things. Light gives perspective. We're salt and light. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the blandness, we as God's people are salt and light. Not because we're super awesome in and of ourselves. No. 
but because God has arrested us with his grace. And he's given us a hope and a calling. Now that means then that our mission is hindered. So this is the opposite now. Our mission is hindered. Follow my logic. And God's glory is not as apt to be seen if we just choose to think and respond like everyone else does. Filled with fear, filled with hopelessness, letting the circumstances of life steal our joy. And unfortunately, there are some among God's people that seem to habitually live in the darkness. Always fixated on the negatives. Always focused on fear. Always depressed. Always anxious. Always stressed out. Always bummed out. Never grasping the glory that is theirs. Because of the accomplishments of the Lord Jesus Christ. It begs the question, how serious are you about being on mission with God? You know, one of the roles of preachers, pastors, elders is to equip God's people for the work of the ministry. Sometimes, unfortunately, God's choice pastors just spend their time coddling the sheep, scratching them behind their ears, petting them, feeding them the word of God. But what happens if you just are fed and you eat, but you never do anything with what you've received? You get fat. And we're not talking about P-H-A-T fat, terrific and wonderful. We're talking about plump fat. If you just take in, but you never do anything with the energy that comes from food, you get fat. So why do we eat? So we can go work. So we can do something with the energy that we've received from our food. The same is true when we are fed the word of God. We're not fed the word of God to make us fat. We're fed the word of God so that we might be equipped for the work of the ministry. So the good shepherd cares for his sheep, feeds his sheep in order to release his sheep to do the work of the ministry. And here we're reminded, as we will be reminded time and time again in Jesus' ministry and the new teachings of the New Covenant, the New Testament, our mission is to reflect the light of Christ in a lost, broken, and dark world. If we don't, who will? The unbeliever is not equipped for that. But the people of God have received that kind of equipping from God. So applicationally, that means that the people of God, how do we shine the light of Christ into the world? Well, in our pain, and we will experience the same kind of pain at times that lost people will experience in our pain. We choose to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We die differently than lost people do. We suffer differently than lost people do. We address the challenges of life differently than lost people do. Some churches will try to teach you that if you're a Christian, you won't experience any of that. That's not true. Jesus experienced it. His apostles were persecuted and crucified and run out of town for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, this life's not going to be easy. Of course, it's not going to be easy. 
But we choose to trust God and put our hope in God, even in our darkest moments. Secondly, in darkness, we continue to shine. We don't let people snuff out our light, steal our joy, or steal the glory that is ours through Christ. And third, we denounce fear. We denounce fear in Jesus' name. What do I mean by that? It's not, well, I denounce fear because I'm a tough guy. No, it doesn't come from me. It comes from the presence of God who is working his good work out in my life. I would encourage you, maybe even today or in the coming days, as you consider the high calling of God to be salt and light, to shine forth the glory of God, to take advantage of the opportunities that we have at this unique time in history to be light in dark times. Get on the phone and call a lost friend and start to ask questions about how they're feeling and how they're processing things and how they're thinking through the issues and then take the opportunity to share what the source of your hope and your freedom and your joy is. That's powerful. Use your social media presence to testify to the goodness of God in your life. Write a letter to your neighbors. Invite people to join our online services. No strings attached. No one's going to ask you for anything. Be salt. Be light. Let the glory of God shine upon you. You are a lighthouse in the darkness for Christ. Now, lighthouses come in different heights and different sizes. And they have different wattages of bulbs in them. But nobody puts tinted glass in a lighthouse. Nobody does anything to try to hinder the light that that lighthouse is producing. Don't let anything hinder you from being the light that God has designed you to be. We think beyond ourselves. Good Friday calls us to do that. Because it calls us to consider the example of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us that we might be eternally redeemed. Now third, there's great hope in this passage because the prophet indicates prophetically that through the work of God and the work of his church, one day the world will be redeemed. That's huge. The world will be redeemed. And we're part of that mission. Verses 3 and 4 read, The nations shall come to your light. So that whole discussion earlier about being sharing in the glory of God and being a presence for him on earth, this is the fruit, the result of that. The nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So then it says, Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together. These are the eyes of faith. Again, the people of God in the 7th century didn't see that entirely fulfilled in their lifetimes. We, of course, have seen people from all nations and languages and tongues come to Christ in our, lang- in our lifetimes, but there's still nations that are in rebellion against God. So what does it mean to see it? Does it mean I'm going to necessarily see it in the moment? Maybe, maybe not. 
but through the eyes of faith. That means lift up your eyes, look at this through spiritual glasses. Lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. And then check this out. Your son shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. In this prophecy, this ancient prophecy, God tells us that one day, this broken order, all this darkness that we see, praise God, it's going to be fixed. It's going to be healed. I've been asked this question more than once in the last several days and weeks. Aaron, when do you think the COVID virus, the crisis that we're in, is going to end? Well, my, my honest answer to that is I don't know. But if you were to ask me, do you think it's going to end? I would say 100%, either in this world or the next. It's going to end. And so will all other viruses and diseases and difficulties and challenges. All the darkness one day is going to end. And all things are going to be made new. The precursor to which will be kings, nations from all over the world will be impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. People from all tribes and tongues and languages and nations will come to know the Lord. Folks, this is our hope. Your hope mustn't be in me. Our hope is not in the latest government fix or safety net or the experts. And yet we're hearing a lot of that. Sort of half-truths, things that are from a certain angle true, but they're not fully true. You're, you're hearing this kind of stuff as well, I'm sure. Well-meaning people trying to encourage the brokenhearted, saying things like, we're going to get through this together. Or we can beat this. Now, I understand the sentiment of that. I really do. I understand the sentiment of that. But let me just challenge those statements a little bit by asking this question. Could it be that it's that very mindset that got us here in the first place? Could it be that behind the scenes, this is in fact a move of God to chastise the nations? A move of God to shake up the church from our self-reliance and our pride and our security and our self-confidence? Could it be that this very mindset, as well-intended as it might be, we can get through this together, we can fix it, don't worry, it's going to be okay, is the very thing that got us here in the first place? I was reading one of the parables of Jesus. I want to share it with you. It's found in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, and by the way, you could just call this the definition of foolishness. 
Here's what the Bible says, and he told them a parable. So a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man, you could insert confident man, self-reliant man, self-made man. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I have so much. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I shall store all my grain and my goods. And I shall say to my soul. So now we have insight into his heart, which is really important to understand. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Wow. It's a sobering reminder. You can be the most self-made man or woman in the whole city, in the county, in the country for that matter. But guess what? You come into the world naked and you depart naked. Can't take it with you, folks. But why is it that humanity has not learned this valuable lesson? Because we're still doing what the Egyptians were doing thousands of years ago when they were building the pyramids. Stocking up for ourselves earthly things, thinking they will ultimately rescue us and redeem us. You go into those pyramids today, the corpses are still there, and all their wealth has been left behind. What are we trusting in? The things of this life, our jobs, our degrees, our family, our health, our military stability, what is it we're trusting in? You know why we need a redeemer? We need a redeemer because we need to be redeemed. We have a problem. We're weak. We're frail. We're fragile. And yet the heavenly hope is that two things will happen. The nations, the kings will eventually surrender to the Lord. Praise God for that. There will be global redemption one day. And secondly, the church will reproduce. That's what the language of the text is referring to when it's talking about the sons and the daughters and carrying the babies on the hip. The church will reproduce. The church will not be crushed. The church will not fail. Jesus said he's going to build his church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. Church ain't going anywhere. It might expand and contract in terms of its numerical size over the centuries or depending on cultural circumstances. But ultimately, the church ain't going anywhere. We embrace these truths by faith. That's what it means when it says, lift up your eyes and see this. We see glimpses of this in the here and now in our lifetimes, physically, tangibly. But we also see these things to be true and embrace these things to be true through the eyes of faith. It aligns with what Paul taught us in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And faith is not 
you know, wishing in something that we know actually isn't true. It's hoping in something we know is true because it's ultimate reality. And it's been revealed to us by Christ. And then the final blessing we have here is that one day in all the darkness that often erodes the heart and stresses the mind, your heart will soon be full. Now, the word heart can come before some nasty words. Heart attack. That's not a good word. Heartache. It can also come before some positive words like heart throb. I'm in love with someone. What is it that fills your heart? What is it that makes your heart ache? What is it that makes your heart full? Food? Good hearty steak and potato dinners. That what fills your heart? Is it time with your loved ones? Is it a romantic movie? What fills your heart? Whatever it is that fills your heart in the here and now, it pales in comparison to the ultimate fullness of the heart that God has in store for all of us that love him and are called according to his purpose. Here is a vision for radical renewal shared by the prophet to the people of God in Isaiah 60 verse 5. This is the end result. This is what we're looking forward to. You ready for this? Then you shall see and be radiant. And your heart shall thrill and exalt because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. These are in reference to this ultimate vision of a reordered society, a heavenly kingdom, where King Jesus is on his throne, clearly reigning over all, and everyone in the kingdom is satisfied to live under his benevolent rule. It's messianic in nature. It speaks of the coming of Christ, who helped us to see in Seed form, the kingdom of God, the future reign, the ultimate and final reign of King Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. On Good Friday, we celebrate the death of Jesus because we know that just past Good Friday is Easter Sunday. But guess what? We know something else. We know that past Easter Sunday, Several centuries past Easter Sunday. The time will come when all of the nations will turn to the Lord. The church will shine. The benevolent rule of Christ will be established. Evil will be cast aside and damned forever. And God will reorder all things on the new heaven and the new earth. And it is in that place that our hearts will be full. As we consider these words, church, let me encourage you by reminding you that there's better days ahead. And I'm not talking about Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday necessarily. Or what's going to happen seven days from now or 14 days from now. But there are better eternal days ahead. Darkness is not our destiny. Right now it might seem kind of thick. But darkness is not our destiny. 
Others will in fact come into the eternal kingdom of God. That is our hope and that is our peace. So let's embrace it for our own benefit and to the eternal glory of God. Amen.